0: All right. Well, this month, we celebrate the women this month. Amen. <laughs> it's not Women's Day today, but it's Women's Month. And so, the theme for this month is dedicated to all the women out there. Amen. Amen. Our theme for the month is rebuilding, raising up, Repairing and restoring. Rebuilding, raising up, repairing and restoring. We're using Isaiah 58 verse 12 as our main text. I'm going to read the New King James Version and the NIV Bible thereafter. Of course, what's written here refers to all of us prophetically so, not only to the women, all right, so all of us. And I'm reading right in the middle of the chapter, so there are things that we didn't read prior to that, and we will go back and sort of give a bit of a background. We read Isaiah 58, 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the bridge, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. So this morning you are sitting next to a rebuilder, one who raises up a repairer and a restorer. Tell your neighbor, you are lucky to be sitting next to me. you are so lucky. You must put this in your journal that you are sitting next to a rebuilder, one who raises up a repairer and a restorer. The NRV reads, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets to dwell in. The background of this As we know, the book of Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah. He was a son of Amos. And his name, many of the Hebrew names are very similar to the African names in that the name has a story to it or has a prophetic significance to it. The name Isaiah means the Lord saves. Isaiah was married he had at least two sons, and please forgive me, I, I, don't, I can't read Hebrew, so I'm going to read the names in my Shangan way of reading. The name of the first one was Shea Jahud. We find that in Isaiah 7, 3. And the name of the next one, it's quite a long name, is Maher Shalal Hajbaz. What a name. That's in chapter 8, verse 3. Isaiah spent most of his life in Jerusalem, and his great, the greatest influence of his ministry came under King Hezekiah. He also is credited for writing the history of the reign of King Uzziah, or Uzziah, whichever way you want to say it. And that is found in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 22. His ministry happened and his writing happens during this stormy period, which was marking the expansion of the Assyrian Empire. And yet, the empire of the Israelites was declining. So it was a very difficult time of the lives of the children of Israel. And so the two themes that run through the book of Isaiah is that first of all, God, who is the Holy One of Israel, will punish his rebellious people. Anytime God's people walked away from God, they'd get into trouble. But then the second theme, so true to the nature of God, is that afterwards, if people were to repent and come back to God, God will redeem them. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 41. And so throughout the book of Isaiah, God's judgment is referred to as fire, like you find in chapter 1 and chapter 30. And yet God says with all that fire, I will also have compassion on my people and I will rescue them. I'll rescue them from political oppression and I'll rescue them from spiritual oppression. God is saying in those times when I rescue them, it will be times when it's almost like when you went out of Egypt with the first exodus and the restoration will be like the new exodus as God redeems and saves his people as we see him speak about it in Isaiah chapter 42. And so when you read from chapter 58 of Isaiah to chapter 66, God is promising his people everlasting deliverance. Also, he's saying there will be judgment, but he's focusing on on deliverance. And in Isaiah 58, our theme text today, God is addressing people there about true and false worship. In particular, he's addressing the subject of tithing. And he's saying to his people, I have told you to tithe, but the, to rather to fast, not tithing, fasting. The subject of fasting. I've told you to fast. But he says to them, the, the, the way you are fasting, you're not fasting in the manner that I have told you to fast. When you fast, you do things that you're not supposed to be doing during fasting. Then God tells them, remember, How I told you to fast is to lose the band of wickedness, to not have an accusing finger, and God goes through a whole list. And then he gives them a promise. He says, you know what? If you will do that, true to my nature, I will work among you. He says to them, your light will rise in darkness. In other words, even if days are dark, light will come. Even if things are difficult, God says, I will ensure that I intervene in your life your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Because you see, when it comes to God, noonday or darkness doesn't go on forever. Secondly, God says, secondly, I will guide you always. You won't have to grope around in darkness trying to second guess God's will for your life. I will make sure that I will guide you always and I will satisfy your need in a sun-scorched land. In other words, even if you are in the midst of a place that is sunscotched, figuratively speaking, and you are in times of difficulty and rough times, I will come through for you as your God and I will intervene in your life. And God says, I will also strengthen your frame. I'll make you to be a strong people. Then he says, you will be like a well-watered garden. You will be like a spring whose waters never fail. God is saying, even if it's times of difficulty, because I'll come through for you and because of my power in your life, your life will be so different to what is happening all around you. And then God says, and because of my power in your life, not only will you enjoy the blessing for yourself, but you'll also become a blessing to other people. Because the, the high level of living for God is not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. That's another level. And God says, because of my power in your life, then your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. Or you will be the rebuilders of ancient ruins. Secondly, you will raise up the age-old foundations. Thirdly, you will be called the repairer of the broken walls. And fourthly, you will be the restorer of streets to dwell in. These are the four areas we're going to focus on this month being rebuilders, being those who raise up old foundations, being repairers of broken walls, and restorers of streets. We know that even if God was speaking to natural Israel, but this prophecy has significance and and, 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 and application to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ today. It's speaking about the role that we will play in our communities, in our homes, in our families. The roles that we will play in our lifetime. Four things as we say. Let's go through them again. We're going to rebuild the ancient ruins or the old places. In other words, God's power is going to come upon your life where God's going to help you be a rebuilder. Tell your neighbor, you're going to be a rebuilder. Secondly, God says you're going to raise up the foundations of many generations. You know, there are many foundations that have been tempered with in our lifetime today. Many of those foundations, we'll talk about them. God is going to rebuild them. And then thirdly, says, you'll be a repairer of the bridge. In olden days, cities used to have walls built around them. When the enemy besieged a city, they would cause a, a crack in the wall or they would break the wall, and that would be called a bridge. Walls were meant to keep unwanted things out and to keep those who are the other side of the walls safe. In other words, walls are there to make sure that certain things don't intrude into our lives. But we know today, There are many things that have been breached. And God says, wherever there's been a breach, you and I will be the repairers of those breached. Those things that have come through to affect our homes, affect our societies, affect the places where we are, the power of God will come upon our lives to be able to repair those. And finally, God says, number four, we will be the restorers of streets to dwell in. The great thing about restoration is that when God restores, He always restores things to a better condition. We know this. The principle of biblical restoration is that whatever was lost, stolen, or taken away will be restored in greater quantity and in better quality and in better kind. Can I hear an amen? Amen. In other words, if you came to church this morning and you're driving your Hyundai Eto and you parked it outside and some thief who was not used by God stole your car whilst you were worshipping God in the service. And you go outside and you don't find your car. Then you cry out to God and say, God, my car has been stolen. And God looks down from the balcony of heaven and says, my child, I will restore. Come next week, I will restore. Next week when you come back in the place where your Hyundai Eto was parked, you're going to find your Lamborghini parked there, my dear friend. Because God always restores in better quality. So, whatever it is that has been lost in our lives, God wants to restore. Somebody say restore. Restore. But today we want to talk about building, rebuilding the ancient ruins. Many ancient cities those days would be besieged and they they would be rebuilt after they had been destroyed. For instance, Babylon was plundered by the Assyrians at least three times. We know that in the 13th century B.C., and forgive me these names, I don't know how to pronounce them properly. They were besieged under Tukulti-Ninuta. They will write it down on the screen there. In 60, 689 B.C., second time they were besieged by Sennacherib. In 648 B.C., they were, they were besieged by ashuba Nepal. Each time the ruins of Babylon were rebuilt, Oftentimes, the city was made more splendid than before. So God says, I'm going to rebuild. Even if things have been in that state, God is going to rebuild. Even Jerusalem, we read about Jerusalem being rebuilt. In fact, Isaiah 61 that Jesus quoted, after he was baptized by John, when he came out of the waters, he spoke and said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's when he went to the temple says because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He was quoting from Isaiah chapter sixty one. When you read verse one, verse two reads, "To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beautiful edges, the oil of joy for mourning." The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Now, note verse 4. And they shall build up the old wastes. They shall raise up their former desolation. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. What Jesus is telling us is that the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives is for a reason and for a purpose. See, when the power of God, what we call the anointing, comes upon our lives, it's not for our own good. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. In other words, when the presence of God comes upon our lives, it comes upon our lives for a reason. It's for us to be able to be people who are productive. Can I hear an amen? And so the Bible says, when that spirit comes upon our lives, we will rebuild or we will build up the old places. This language is actually used to talk about the condition of Jerusalem during the long captivity that the children of Israel went through when they were in Babylon. The land lay for a long time in a desolate place. It lay waste for a period of 70 years. But then as God brought his people back, As he anointed them by his power, then the people were able to rebuild. And so you and I, because of the presence of God in our lives, we are able to rebuild. This is very similar to what we see Nehemiah doing in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, reading right through to the other chapters. Nehemiah was a rebuilder. And I want to tell you this morning, you are sitting next to a Nehemiah. If it's a lady, maybe it's a Nehemiah. How many of you are sitting next to a Nehemiah or a Nehemiah? That person that you are sitting next to, they will be a rebuilder. Why? Because when the presence of God comes into their lives, they will be able to be a rebuilder. So I want for a while for us to look at what Nehemiah did. What Nehemiah did prophetically speaks about what we should do. When we read in chapter 3, we learn how Nehemiah rebuilt. He finds a place that where people tried a project and it failed. You know, when you've tried a project and it has failed, it's one thing for the project to fail, but it's another thing for people to be dispirited. You know, oftentimes we start things that go only so far. And I have often said in our meetings, it's a blessing for us to be able to see vision come to fulfillment. It's a blessing. It's a blessing today, Barcelona, that we have nine regions and we have all our bishops and our overseers in the different places. Because sometimes you can set out to fulfill vision and then it doesn't happen. So in the days of Nehemiah, people tried to rebuild the broken wall and they failed numerous, numerous times until the people totally gave up. They were dispirited. They didn't know what to do. Their spirits were broken and they had finally decided to settle for failure. They had finally decided to make peace with mediocrity. But you see, when the spirit of God comes upon our lives, you cannot afford to be a mediocre person. You cannot afford to make peace with failure and make peace with defeat. You cannot get to a point where you say, this is not going to happen. And when Nehemiah came, he started casting a vision of possibility. See, this is talking about you, Nehemiah. You're going to go to your family. You're going to go to your community. And you're going to cast a vision of possibility among a people who believe it cannot work again. I know why you're not saying amen because some of you, you don't believe it can happen. But I'm here to tell you, God is going to do it through your life. And Nehemiah goes to his people and he casts this vision. And as a result of this powerful vision, we learn the following. The people, number one, were willing to work. Number two, the people became involved. Number three, the people started doing something. Think about this. God's going to use you in your family. God's going to use you in your community to be a Nehemiah. So we read in Nehemiah chapter 2 that Nehemiah rebuilt several different gates. And all these gates have different names. And all these Hebrew names have a great significance to speak to us. So I want to describe these gates for our own learning, for our own edification so that we can draw lessons from the names of these gates to know which areas God's going to use us to rebuild. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor you're a rebuilder. Tell your other neighbor you're a rebuilder. Tell your other neighbor you look like a rebuilder. Here are the gates. Number one. Nehemiah rebuilt the ship gate. The ship gate signifies the Lamb of God whose blood was shed on the cross for us. Therefore, the rebuilding of the ship gate reveals the principle of the cross. You and I are going to talk to our people, our nation, our communities, our families, and impress upon them The importance of the cross of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ is not the center of our lives, then we become vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. You and I were going to share with the people we live with, the people we befriend, that Jesus Christ is the only foundation upon which our lives can be built. The Bible says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. And so Jesus is the center of our lives. And that gate... We need to make sure it's rebuilt and come back to the principles of Jesus Christ. Number two. The second gate that Nehemiah built is the fish gate. Yeah, fish. F-I-S-H, fish gate. This gate speaks to us about the witness that we give as God's children, as Christians. We should build that fish gate as witnesses of Jesus Christ. We should be telling people about our experience as those who have been changed by God. This wall that is broken, we need to rebuild it. Because when you look around today, it looks like as the Christian people today, we don't say much about what Jesus has done in our lives. We need to rebuild this gate and tell other people about the grace and the love of God. Number three, Nehemiah built the old gate. The old gate. The word old very often in the Bible speaks of truth. Because truth is always old. It's upon old things that everything new must rest. So we need to rebuild the gate of truth. And truth, according to our understanding, is what Jesus said in John 17, 17. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. In other words, we rebuild the gate of believing what God's word says, practicing what it says, and using God's word as the standard of truth. If God said it, we believe it, that settles it. If God said it, that's the standard of my life. If the Bible says it, there's no need for me to check with anything else that is the standard. We need to rebuild that gate of truth and to live by God's word and to practice God's word and to embrace God's word, knowing fully well that the word of God is a standard for our lives. Number four, the fourth gate is the dung gate, D-U-N-G. This is animal manure, dung gate. This place is the place through which all of the refuse of the city was carried out. They used this gate to remove all the garbage, all the filth. It was carried out of the city through this gate. We need to rebuild the down gate in our lives. What am I talking about? This is talking about making sure that we don't hold into our lives things that are going to poison us spiritually and emotionally. We need to release out of our lives bitterness, unforgiveness, envy, and anything that will poison us. We shouldn't allow bad things to stay within our spiritual system because otherwise they will poison. Because any refuse in our lives, when it accumulates, any refuse in any place when it accumulates, it smells bad. You know what? We don't want to smell bad in the sight of God. We don't want to smell God before... The smell bad among people. We want to be a people who live in love, who live in forgiveness, who live in reconciliation. So we're going to rebuild that down gate. We're going to release out of our lives any form of negativity that is against the word of the living God. Can I hear an amen in the house? Amen. Number four. The fourth gate that... Oh, oh, number five. At least you are awake. Bless you. Look at you, neighbor and say, at least you are awake. Bless you. Amen. Gate number five is the valley gate. The valley gate. Valleys are usually low places. And valleys in the Bible speak of lowliness of mind and humbleness of heart. So when we rebuild the valley gate, this suggests a place of humility in our lives. Many scriptures in the Bible, the Bible shows us how God resists the proud. And gives grace to the humble. Now humility is not low self-esteem. Humility is not about looking down upon yourself. Humility is about embracing what God says. And saying God you are right, I'm wrong. (laughs) God you know better than I do. So if God says forgive, I forgive. Because I'm a humble person. Humility suggests we submit ourselves to the word of God. Wow. Jane says, submit yourself unto God. Submit yourself therefore to God. How do we submit ourselves to God? We submit ourselves to God by submitting ourselves to the word of God. Let your word be final authority in my life. Let your word give direction in my life. I humble myself under your word. If your word says, I am more than a conqueror, even if I don't feel like I'm more than a conqueror, I will say that I am more than a conqueror. That's humility. You see, when you're you're humble, you accept what God says. Even if God says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You don't humble yourself and say, I'm just a worm. Mm -mm. When you are humble, you say, God, even if I don't feel like I am more than a conqueror, I accept that I am more than a conqueror. See, when you look at Moses... One of the problems God had with, about Moses is that Moses wouldn't accept what God was saying about him. God said, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You are my choice. You are the one upon whom my spirit rests. I'm sending you to go and do a work. You are the one that I've set aside for this task. So what does Moses do? Moses comes with what? What I call humble pride. First of all, he says to God, Who am I? Then he says, the people won't believe me. Then he says, who shall I say sent me? Finally, God was angry with him. Go and read it. God was angry with him. Why? Because you see, whatever God says about you, you need to have the humility to accept what God says about you. Oh, yeah. And so we need to rebuild that gate. The gate, the valley gate. Number six, he rebuilt The fountain gate. In John 4, 4, we see Jesus going to the well of Samaria. A well speaks of the Holy Spirit. In John 7, Jesus stood up on that day and said, Whoever thirsts must come and drink. Jesus says, out of his belly, as the scripture says, shall flow rivers of living waters. But this spoke he of the Holy Spirit that they which believed on him would receive. And so, the fountain gate speaks of you and I appropriating the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit in our lives is like a river that flows. The flow of the Spirit in our lives enables us to do God's will. The Holy Spirit in our lives enables us to do the work of God. The Holy Spirit in our lives enables us to take on projects that we couldn't take them in our normal self. Amen. The prophet speaks to the first king of Israel, talks to Saul and says, Saul, when the Spirit of the Most High comes upon you, Saul, you will prophesy with the prophets, even if you are not a prophet. And we, you will prophesy with the prophets and you will be turned into another man. When the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, it turned him into another man. The same Holy Spirit came upon a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Who up until that time, all he did was to work with wood as a carpenter. He would make all kinds of things as a carpenter. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, instead of him making coffins, he raised people from the dead. Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. When the Holy Spirit came upon David, who was just simply a shepherd boy, he was able to stand against Goliath when all the other people were afraid of Goliath. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon our lives, he turns us into another man. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so we need to rebuild the fountain gate. And allow the reality of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you in your place of work. Let the Holy Spirit spawn the vision of God in your life. Let the Holy Spirit carry you in doing the will of God in your life. It's not by might. It is not by power. But it is by the spirit of the living God. And so we need to build that fountain gate. We need to come back to that place where the Holy Spirit is operational in our lives. Number seven. The water gate. Very interesting. This is the only gate that Nehemiah didn't physically rebuild. It was there. Because you see, water is a symbol of the word of God. It's interesting. It did not need to be repaired, this particular gate. Evidently, it's the only part of the wall that was still standing. So you and I, we need to appropriate the water gate, the word of God. Why? Because when everything else falls, the word of God will stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will stand forever. Jesus gives a parable. He says, you know, I will tell you a wise man. He is the one who hears my words and does them. So as we practice God's word, Jesus says it is like a man building. In other words, when you hear God's word and when you practice God's word, you start building your life. Remember, just like a house consists of many different areas that need to be built. So do our lives. In my life, number one, is the spiritual side of me. My connection with God. Your connection with God. Our connection with God spiritually. But that's not all there is to my life. I've got a physical body. I need to be healthy. We need to live. We need to be able to operate financially. We also need to be in relationships. Our lives consist of many different areas. So here we go. As we practice God's word, God starts affecting the different areas in our lives. But the secret is for us to continue practicing God's word. As we continue believing God's word, as we continue putting it into practice, as we learn, then different areas in our lives get built. I was telling them in the first service, you know, when I received Christ, by the way, it was the 5th of August, uh, 1978. So tomorrow, by God's grace, I'll be celebrating 41 years. As a, as a born-again Christian, by the grace of God. I'm so glad. Oh. I was 17 years old uh, uh, because I was born on the, on the 3rd of, of, of April, 19, mind your own business. <laughs> 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 so, when I became a Christian those years, you know, I was, I was born again. But there's areas in my life that were really not, do, I wasn't doing so well. You know, I wasn't handling my finances well. You know, I was a born-again Christian, but broke. You know, or or financially ill-disciplined. You know, when I got money, I just use it. And of course, as well, born-again Christian, but very sick in my body. Born-again Christian, but short-tempered. You know what I mean, you know? Born-again Christian, but very unforgiving. Amen. I was a Christian, though, Mariah. Yeah. And so... As we, as we follow Christ, God starts changing areas in our lives. Can I hear an amen, eh? Oh, yeah. God starts changing. So, in other words, the word of God, this gate that we're talking about, this water gate, is the word of God that builds our lives as we practice it. But it's not everything in our lives that changes overnight. And we need to be fair. And our families need to be fair to us. Say, so, yeah, you're a Christian, but you lost your temper. Of course. I'm still under construction. Anybody who's still under construction in this place, still under construction. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember a few years ago, many years ago, actually. uh, I went to one of the uh, families here in White City Jabavu. I was going to offer condolences. Somebody had passed. Those years, you know, when White City Jabavu wasn't known to be a very good good place. It's different now, but those days, who? And uh, so I went to this funeral. And I was going to give condolences. And I, was, I, was, I, I took along uh, one of our members. He's still in our church even now. And when I went into the house, you know, there were all these guys, you know, the gangsters. You know, there's a lot of gangsters there. So you see these guys all, there standing there. And I saw all of them looking at me. And I, I couldn't understand why they're looking at me the way they're looking at me. So they, they were looking at me as I went in. They were looking at me as I left. With their eyes full. Have you ever had somebody their eyes full of you? <laughs> so I didn't know what happened. So we left, and, and then later on, the report I got feedback that the guys in the area were asking, who am I? I said, who am I? I'm just a pastor. They said, no, 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 no. You must be one of the most, the roughest people they've ever seen. I said, what's I, I said, why? They said, that guy who accompanied you, he used to terrorize that whole place. They didn't know that now he's a different person. They, they 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 last saw him when he used to terrorize them. But when Christ came in his life, Christ changed him. So I didn't know. I just took him along there. I didn't know he was my bodyguard, my pride. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Who's that pastor Bati? Hey, this. was a Chris. Oh wrong, Lomu. i None no come close to that brother. Said, why? They said, can you see that guy who used to terrorize us? is actually calling him pastor and he's listening to him. Said, that guy must be having something we don't have. (laughs) Aren't we glad for the grace of God that has changed our lives? (laughs) That's what we used to be. But thank God for the water gate. That God's word has built our lives. Number eight. We're going to go up to number ten, that last gate. Number eight. The east gate. The east gate faced the rising sun. And the rising sun speaks of hope. The east gate is the gate of hope. God wants us to rebuild in our lives the gate of hope, the gate of anticipation, knowing fully well that when all trials come our way and all the struggles of life come on our way, it is not the end of the world. We know that even if the sun goes down, the sun will rise again. I said the sun will rise again. I said the sun will rise again. You and I, we need to be ministers and evangelists and servants who tell people about the East Gate. Tell them there's hope in God. Tell them there's hope in Jesus Christ. Tell them that even if weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. Look, it's not an empty hope. It's not a hope of wishful thinking. It's not a hope of positive thinking. It's a hope because we know that our God is, and our God is alive. And wherever God is, even if it may be dark today, God will raise us up again tomorrow. It's a gate of hope. You and I, we need to be men and women of hope. Bring hope to our families. Bring hope to our communities. Bring hope to people who are hopeless. That's what Jesus said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me, he says, to heal the brokenhearted. When you read it in the original, it's talking about people who are suffering from psychological and mental conditions. People who are having all forms of depression. He says, he has appointed me. He says, he will put upon them the oil of joy and remove of them the cloak of mourning. When the spirit of God comes upon our lives, he gives us that east gate, a gate of hope. And so you and I, we need to allow God spawn in our life a vision that tells us things will change see it's vision that brings anticipation it's vision that causes us to look forward to something better you know i i was i was just thinking about it today my goodness i remember when we first started our church in a classroom with 35 people in the church you know and in spite of everything surrounding us and being here in Soweto and the reality of the things in our nation. Even then, the spirit of God was beating in our hearts and speaking to us in our hearts that you know what? You can be able to grow from here. You can be able to build a building from here. You can be able to have other churches. Listen, if you are sitting in this anointing, there's no reason why this same anointing cannot work in your life. And God tells us, I'll bring you from here. Last week I was talking to one gentleman on the phone and he was reminding me of a conversation he had had, we had had, I think a year ago or so. And in his words, he said, when I spoke to you, everything was so dark that time. And he said, all you said to me was that, give God a chance. Yeah, give God a chance. Yeah. And he says, I'm phoning you a year later as I'm speaking, God has turned things around. Tell your neighbor, God's going to turn things around in your life. (laughs) Number nine, the horse gate, H-O-R-S-E, the horse gate. The horse in scripture is a symbol of warfare. Or in this case, it speaks of doing battle against the forces of the enemy. We're going to rebuild that gate where we stand strong in the power of God against the forces of darkness. Ephesians 6.12 says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present world. And the Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the enemy and stand against the enemy. And so we can put on the whole armor of God. As we rebuild this horse gate, we stand in the power of God. We should understand that Jesus did say, in this world, you will have many tribulations. But then he says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. God didn't bring us into the world to insulate us against the trouble of the world. In fact, when he prayed for the disciples in John chapter 17, this is what he says. He says, Father, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but I pray that you should keep them. In the world. Paul talks to us, he says, you, you should shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. God doesn't take us out of the situation in the world. But right in the midst of it, God gives us victory. God didn't say we're not going to have challenges or problems. God didn't say we will never have days when we feel discouraged and we feel like giving up. God didn't say that we will win all the time. Sometimes we get knocked down. But in the words of Paul, even if we get knocked down, we are not knocked out. Oh yeah. Even if we are pushed against the wall, we are not hemmed in. We don't have our back against the wall. In fact, Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. In times when we feel like we don't have anything that we can offer, God comes through for us. And so we need to stand strong, knowing fully well that the horse gate will be rebuilt in our lives. We are men and women who are determined to walk in the victory that God gives in our lives. We will be victorious in our living, victorious in our walk, victorious in our families, victorious in our homes, victorious in our place of work. I didn't say we will be number one, I just said we will be victorious. And I didn't say victory will come tomorrow. Mara, you know what? One day is one day. Sizobuya! And we stand in the victory that God gives in our lives. And in conclusion, the last gate is the master gate. Very interesting. Literally, it means the examination gate. In other words, when we build this gate, we sit and take a look at ourselves every now and then. We stop and re-evaluate what we are doing. It brings us again to that place where We make sure that whatever we do, we do it in accordance with God's word. Just like a builder when they build, they make sure that their lines are straight, their mixture is correctly done. We bring in the quantity surveyor to evaluate and check the material, how good is it, lest when we have built and we have finished building, then our building cannot withstand the test of time. And so literally we want to stop now and now and again and check ourselves against the standard of God's word. Are we doing it against God's word? Are we doing it rather in accordance with God's word? We need to rebuild that gate. And so you and I have been called by God to rebuild those gates. We are rebuilders. Anointed by God to be rebuilders. And in our lives we're going to be actively involved in doing that. And God is going to see us through. I love it in Nehemiah 6.15 as I close. This is how it reads. So the wall was finished. The wall was finished. What a blessing it is to see ourselves finishing, completing. Areas where we used to have issues. When you look back, you realize that my goodness, God has brought us a long way here. My goodness, when I started in my walk with God, you know, my language was not clean. I used to curse with every second sentence. I used to be unforgiving. I used to, I wasn't in control. I used to have all kinds of things. But my goodness, many years later, look at what God has done. Look at how God has rebuilt my life. Some of us, when people see us several years later, they can't believe that you're the same person. Because they, re- they remember what you used to be back then. But look at what God has done. Because God is a rebuilder of our lives. And look what God is going to do through your life as you are involved in your family, in your home, and rebuild things. You know, when we were at the, at the meeting with the men, I was looking over and some of our young men who are now grown up and they have families And they have their own children. And I remember them years ago when they were very young. And they were dealing with serious issues around uh, their, their families that were dysfunctional. Sometimes the father figures in their lives who had walked out of their lives and were never involved in their lives. And here they are several years later. God has rebuilt them. And I was looking at them and I was thinking, there they are now. You know, God has done a mighty and wonderful thing in their lives. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's a God who's able to rebuild. Let's give the Lord a big hand for that. He's a rebuilder. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is a good God. I said God is a good God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's the one who rebuilds our lives. I want to ask you where you stand. Maybe when you look at your life, when you look at it, you realize, you know, things have gone wrong in my life. Things didn't go the way I was hoping. You may have tried in your own strength and your own power to make things right, but they didn't. Things didn't change. Didn't, things didn't get right. And as you've been listening to God's word, you realize that only God can bring about the change when we give our lives into his hands. In the same way, I've told the stories of so many people whose lives were given into the hands of God and God was able to change their lives. You are here today. You've attended this service. When you look at your life, you say, you know what? I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. My life is not pleasing to God but I want to give my life to Christ for him to come into my life and change me and make me a child of God. Those of you who are streaming, wherever you are, it could be your desire, right where you are, to invite Jesus Christ into your life, come into your heart and change your life. All over this place, if you are here and you say, please pray for me. I want God to transform my life and change me and make me a different person. I want to invite Jesus Christ. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand? Right where you are, I'd love to pray with you. Just raise your hand. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. God bless you. This is such an important thing as we come into the presence of God. For God to be the one who changes things and makes things new. May I ask the people who raise their hands. I want to pray for you. Can you just please come from where you are standing and just make your way to the front. And come stand here with me as we pray. As you come, take your belongings, all right? Don't leave any of your belongings behind. Just come. Those of you raise raised your hands, just come. Just start walking. Thank you. Thank you. Come on.